So yesterday, we, uh, we being Jerrica, Cordelia, and I, we went to Silver Hour City for my company picnic, uh, Federal Protection, the place that I work, the security company I work for, hosts a company picnic there every year. Um, and we had a good day, right? It was, it was fun, uh, except for one tiny thing. And it, it wasn't really her fault, but uh, Cordelia went without a nap. Now, I don't know if you guys know or remember how children are without naps when they're used to like having one every day like clockwork for the first four years of their life. Um, but she went out without a nap yesterday, and, and at one point she was like really, it was almost like half intoxicated, half demon possession, okay? She looked at me at one point in line, and she's like, Daddy, I want to ride the teacups. And I was like, okay, well, we, we can't do that right now. And she's like, but I said I want to. And I was just like, okay, well, um, um, soon enough, uh, we will. And uh, we got to ride the teacups, and uh, that happened a few more times throughout the day. One of the times was over ice cream. Uh, I want, Daddy, I want some ice cream. Well, not right now, baby. But I want it. And it's just like, okay, well, um, sorry, take a deep breath. Uh, and she was like this beautiful little evil thing. Um, and then she had her nap. And it was like the world changed. You know, uh, the things completely flipped on their head. And here was my sweet little girl. She was back. She uh, was just like ready to go for the night and... Daddy, may I please have this? And Daddy, may I please have that? And please and thank you. And I'm just like, oh, she's back. That's so good. And it, it, it's funny because it kind of struck me as I was studying for this week's sermon. She's a lot like Paul, the Bible Paul, not this Paul. Um, although I'm probably the same way. But mind you, she doesn't have to do with a nap. It has to do with food, but that's a different story. Um, she was sort of like the Antichrist before her nap. Let me get there. Let me get there, Jerrica. I'm not, okay? She's my daughter too. I love her. You can yell at me later for it, okay? A little bit just, you know, demon-possessed child. Uh, but then she had her nap, and, and that was kind of like when Paul met Jesus. And on the other side of that meeting, she was a brand-new creation. And that's what happened to Paul. See, when we're first introduced to Paul in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, um, Acts chapter 8 is what contains the, the, the killing of Stephen. And we see here that it says, chapter, one, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, that Saul approved of their killing him, meaning Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered, scattered? scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That's not exactly what you think of when you think of maybe uh, and arguably the greatest spreader of the gospel in the modern church. Okay, Paul, almost single-handedly, is responsible for church, uh, for, church for Christianity becoming... Um, the main religion of the Roman Empire for its spreading later as you kind of do like the six degrees of, of Paul the Apostle to the Western Hemisphere. Not exactly what you think of, this murderous, angry, 
uh, man who's imprisoning people just for the way that they believe. So how did he get from point A to point B? The same way that each and every one of us do. Jesus literally knocked him on his butt by showing him the light of Jesus. We see that in Scripture, that Paul was on the road to Damascus and that um, Jesus appeared to him and there was this great light and Paul fell down to his knees. And he was blinded by the light of Jesus. And he wasn't quite sure of um, where he was going to go to next. Nine, chapter 9 in Acts, verses 1 through 6, tell us this. Meanwhile, while Saul was still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciple, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what uh, Christianity was referred to before it was called Christianity, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you, will, what you must do. So as we go through scripture, we learn here that Paul is literally blinded by the light of Jesus and that the people that were with him had to lead him to Damascus because he himself could not see. What do we learn from this instance? One thing, that Jesus and God, they will make themselves known to people. Okay, it's in uh, Romans one twenty. It tells us that men are without excuse. For the power of Jesus will be seen all throughout creation. It literally says God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Okay, the second thing that we need to understand from this instance with Paul is that you're never too late, never too far gone, or never too anti-Christ to experience the redemption and forgiveness that Jesus brings. I kind of feel like I'm cheating with this point. I have to admit that because uh, I feel like I say something like this in almost every sermon. And truth be told, I, I was going through past sermons that I've done, even, even just here at Crosspoint, and it's like, oh, well, there it is, and Oh, well, yep, there it is. And, uh, oh, there it is again. And I almost felt bad for saying it, like this is just Paul's go-to point, and he's just, you know, going to share, hey, there's redemption in Jesus. But it's there in the Scripture, so I am unapologetic, and it's still something that we definitely need to hear, right? Because the truth is, it doesn't matter how far you've gone or how far you've been away from God he can still bring you back. Look through history. Let's look at each and every individual story that we can. There's Adam and Eve, right? And they introduced sin into the world. That's a pretty big deal. You wouldn't want to be the person who introduces sin into the world, would you? Because I certainly would not. And yet God still found a way for their relationship to be redeemed with him. Now, it changed, all right? They realized they were naked, and they started to wear clothes, which we're all thankful for today. I thought about preaching like Adam this morning. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. I already preached once with my fly down. That was bad enough. Um, and then we, you move on from there, right? And there's Noah. And God sees that the whole world is just in need of being destroyed. That this is not the creation he had intended. And Noah and his family are the only survivors. God provides a way for them to be redeemed and to bring about a new population. 
And then there's Abraham and there's Sarah and and God had made a promise to them that he was going to give them a son of their own, but she was so, so old in her 90s. And she said, hey, take my servant and have a child. And he did. And that was against what God had told them to do. And they were living as opposed to, to God's will for their life. And yet God still paved a way. They said, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he kept that promise. And you can think about King David. And he literally committed adultery with someone else's wife and then had that man killed. Yet he sought forgiveness and was called a man after God's own heart. When we're talking to others about Jesus, we're talking to others about God, we're talking about the fact that they can be redeemed, right? We talked about Peter last week. He denied Jesus in front of his face three times. And yet still, Jesus came back to him and said, on this rock, I will build my church. Peter, feed my sheep. Do you love me? He says, yes, Lord. And he says, Peter, feed my sheep. When we're out there and we're telling people that God can forgive you, it doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter that you've been wrapped up in drugs or pornography or the sex industry or whatever else bad thing that you may be able to think about in your life. It doesn't matter if you've been an alcoholic. It doesn't matter if you used to abuse people, whether that be children or women, or it doesn't matter if you're yourself or even a murderer. You can be forgiven. We can take you and turn you 180 and put you on a different path because the power and the love of Jesus is that strong. When you tell people that, don't just tell them. Open up the Word and show them story after story after story after story that God can redeem anything no matter how far someone thinks they've gone. No matter how dirty you think that you may be or you think that someone may be, God can and will forgive. Acts 9.9 says, For three days he was blinded, he did not eat or drink anything. You see that parallel to Jesus there, the three days? The three days he was blinded, but then he received his sight again, and we're going to get to that. But after three days, Jesus, when he was hung on the cross and he died, he rose. There was that new life, that new creation. It's from here that God calls Ananias to go and restore Paul's sight. In 9, 13 through 15, we see Ananias tell God, Lord, basically, what are you doing? Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Too often we guard our faith, like Ananias did, as if it's ours to give, as if forgiveness is ours to rule over. He had deemed Paul too far gone. Part of that was his own fear, but part of that was Paul's actions. And he said, God, this guy, he's been murdering us. He's been imprisoning us. Right now, he's got documentation that says he can pretty much do whatever he wants to us, and you want me to go to him. How awesome is it that God can take a person that is that feared and say, go, he is my chosen instrument. He is my chosen instrument. I think about my life, and one of the things I struggle with the most is my past. I know that God has forgiven me of my past actions. But truth be told, it's a lot easier 
I think, for God to forgive me than sometimes it is for me to forgive me. Because I want to be that image of Jesus. I want to be perfection. And each stumble, each sin, kind of cuts me like a knife. And I think back on all that stuff, and I literally talk to God sometimes and just say, are you sure about this? I was so bad. I was disgusting. I hated that person. I want nothing to do with that person, and yet sometimes I still feel like that person. So how can I be somebody who's supposed to deliver the message of God? It's in those instances that sometimes I just hear God say, you know what? I chose you. And you can be confident in the things that you're doing for the Lord because God chose you. So, uh, big task. Yet it is a large thing. Or you're, working, or you're working behind the scenes or you're in the sound booth or you're in the band and you just think, I should not be part of this. God chose you. God chose you. You know, I think that sometimes we deem people unforgivable, whether that just be family or friends or one too many strike threes and we just think that person, they're not, I can't forgive them. If I stood up here in front of all of you and I said, you know what, we need to go right now and we need to exterminate ISIS. As Lindsey Graham said, I saw this on Fox News a couple days ago. I was at work in the break room. He said, we need to find ISIS and we need to wipe them off. Wipe them up. What are we going to do? Clean them up? Right? But if I say, hey, we need to wipe out ISIS, we need to just knock them off the face of the planet. I'm going to get a lot of agreements in here. A lot of amens. Yeah, you're right, we do. They're evil. They're awful. What if I stood up here and said, you know what? You need to pray for ISIS. I need to pray for ISIS? They're over there killing Christians. They're imprisoning Christians. They're making Christians pay a tax. Some of them, you want to keep your faith, that's fine, but you have to pay your tax so much so that people aren't able to live. They can't make a living. They can't pay their bills. They can't provide food for their family because they're having to pay taxes to this extremist group who wants to wipe them out just for their beliefs. And we look at those people and we say, hmm, they're too far gone. But I wonder if Paul would say the same thing. Because Paul was that extremist once upon a time. He was imprisoning Christians. He was killing Christians. He wasn't allowing Christians to live their life freely. And he persecuted them just because of their thoughts. So, pray for ISIS. Pray that God changes hearts. Pray that God can somehow infiltrate that organization and show them the light of Jesus, that he can blind some people, that he can knock them on their butts, that they'll wake up and see that all people are, are God's creation and that they should be loved and cherished and respected and built up and that good news may spread. And in the meantime, let's exterminate them. I was kidding, sorry. Another thing that I want everyone to hear, and I really want you guys to hold on to this and to hear this. Sometimes we're chosen, not in spite of our sin, but because of it. Do you hear me on that? 
Sometimes we're chosen not in spite of our sin, but because of it. It's because of the experiences that you have, because of the experiences that I have, that we can serve in the roles that we serve. If I hadn't have failed so many times, if I hadn't have been wrong so many times, if I hadn't sinned so many times, my level of compassion and caring for those when they sin would not be on the same level. Because I would think, well, I've never done that. Well, that's awful. How could you do such a thing? But when I hear about people who are addicted to drugs, I think, yeah, you know what? I've been there too. And I'm going to pray for that person and I'm going to reach out to that person. I'm going to try to be a positive influence in that person's life. And when I hear this person is struggling with alcoholism, you know what I think? Yeah, I've been there too. And I know what it's like to feel like you have to drink and drink and drink and drink just to make it through your day. Because that's the only way that you know how to deal with it. I think about people that suffer from depression. Now, depression is not a sin. It's not a mistake that people make, but it's something that I've struggled with. It's something that oftentimes I've questioned God on. Why do I have to deal with depression? That makes no sense. It's against everything that um, I feel like as my character is, is against, right? I'm a big goofball, and I don't take things serious often enough. My wife may agree with that. I don't know, but um, I'm jokey, and I laugh, and I'm always ha-ha-ha, and... Uh, try to find the humor in things. And, and there are some days I just feel like crap for no other reason that I feel like crap. And that's just the honest truth. I was struggling with it a couple of days ago, and Jericho was just like, hey, what's wrong? Talk to me. And I looked right at her, and I said, you know what? Honestly, I can't tell you because nothing's wrong. I can't pinpoint anything that's making me feel this way. I just feel this way. Before I was diagnosed with depression, I would see people that struggle with depression, and my thought was just get over it. Just man up. Deal with it. Toughen up. You have so much to live for. But then it happened to me and I understood. Sometimes you just can't help it. It's the things that we've done in our past, the things that we are embarrassed of, the things that we are ashamed of, the things that we wish would have never happened that are sometimes the reason that God looks at you and says, you, I choose you. I choose you. I want you. You know what it's like to be there. You can reach those people. And so here we have Paul, this murderer, this this prison guard, this hater of Christianity, this persecutor of Jesus, saying, I don't think I'm right for this. But God's saying, you know what? You're my chosen instrument. You're my chosen instrument. Going on in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to hop around a couple of verses. We're reading 17, 20, 23, and 31. It said, Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it and placing his hands on Saul, he said, You're going to love this, Jack. You ready? Brother Saul, I'm, I'm imagining that's how he sounded. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read 18, even though I said I wasn't going to. But immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, and he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Going on to 20, it says that after that took place, he at once began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God. Can you imagine what that looked like to people? I mean, can you imagine the difference 
that people would have seen in Paul? They would have probably questioned, is this guy, is he drunk? Is he crazy? What is happening to him? Wasn't he just killing people for saying these very same things? Wasn't he just putting people in prison for saying these very same things? 23 says that after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. Parallel to Jesus there, anyone? Right at the beginning of his ministry, he's out there starting to speak the word, share the gospel, and the Jews want to kill him. And then 31, it says that then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord, meaning the respect of the Lord, just so we're all on the same page, and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Paul was a model for the new believer. Blinded by the light, sight restored, given a new vision, a new focus. On fire for God. Started this hear and follow relationship. Christ was, uh, like Christ, he was sought after to be killed, and he placed himself among fellow believers, and the church grew. And while these things with Paul, they take place immediately, guys, listen, it wasn't for 18 years that he was called to his first leadership position in the church of Antioch. 18 years. Why bring that up? Why is that important in Paul's story? I'm going to tell you why. Because you cannot rush vision. You can't rush it. Too many of us want a here and now relationship. You hear me on that? Hear me here, not here. (laughs) We want a here and now relationship. We give our lives to Jesus. He puts a calling on our life and we think, okay, it's going to happen. It's going to happen tomorrow. Jericho will tell you, I am, oh, I am guilty of this. God called me. I went to school for it. And I'm just thinking, man, right out of college, boom, make a church. You know what I'm saying? Walmart in the front, Starbucks on the left, congregation in the back. We are going to take care of all your needs. That's really what I thought. Like, this is going to happen. I'm like 10,000 people. People are going to be like, hey, next Billy Graham, Paul Huff, he's going to be huge. And the only thing that got huge was my body. Too many of us want that here and now relationship. God, I gave my life. Do it now. And he doesn't do it now, and we get discouraged. You hear us say it all the time. What you really need is a here and follow relationship. Too many of us want the here and now, when what we really need is the here and follow. Paul understood that you could not rush vision. You know, I think as part of the leadership of the church, um, it would be great to see Crosspoint just, right? Like next Sunday we come and all of a sudden we don't have enough seats for all the people that want to come through these doors. And I think that a lot of times there are like gimmicky ways you can get people into the doors and get people into church, but there's a specific vision that God has placed on our hearts that we want to deliver, right? That we truly think it's not just an idea or... Um, something we did that we think, hey, we're, we're smarter than everybody else and we figured out this new way. God's really placed it on our hearts and we're passionate about it and we're on fire about it and we want to do it in a way that we think is the right way. And sometimes that takes time. And there's struggle in that. And yes, while it would be easier if we got it here and now, we're going to appreciate it more if we hear and follow. 
as a church, we are going to appreciate where God takes us as we hear and follow. You know, Paul put himself on an island. He did. He turned his back on the Jews and they hated him. These new believers of Christ didn't trust him. And then he had Gentiles who were of many, many, many different faiths. So what do you do when a third of the people hate you? Right? A third of the people want to kill you because you turned your backs on them. That's still the first third. I I gave you two-thirds, but that's the first one. (laughs) A third of the people, we're starting over. A third of the people, okay, want to kill you because you turned your backs on them. A third of the people hate you and don't trust you because you've just been persecuting them and throwing them in prison. And then a third of the people don't agree with anything that you think or believe. What do you do? You blaze a new trail. Paul couldn't rely on other people when he got started because other people didn't want anything to do with him. And it took some workings of of God and some visions from Peter and some inclusion in the church for the disciples to even have anything to do with Paul and to include him in what they were doing and for the church to grow. But we have an opportunity to blaze a trail just like Paul did. See, the same gospel that Paul shared to all those people It's still the same gospel that we have the opportunity to share today. It's just as radical. It's just as different. It's just as mind-blowing. I love doing that. And life-altering as it was then. And it's up to us to decide. Are we going to blaze a new trail? Are we going to go to the nations? Are we going to listen to the calling that Jesus has definitely placed on all our lives. Take the gospel, spread the good news, go to all nations, baptize new believers, and introduce them to Jesus. We just have to decide, are we going to blaze that new trail or are we going to sit back and watch someone else do it? Because I'll tell you one thing about the gospel, about the word of God, it's going to move. Whether you like it or not, it's going to move. So you can either be part of it or you can watch it pass you by. As Crosspoint, as an individual, I want to be part of it. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to, um, to be able to serve you, to be able to spread the good news, to spread the gospel, to be a mouthpiece for you, Lord, that we can go to all nations and that we can tell them there is a Jesus out there that he loves you and he gave his life for you. And it doesn't matter how far or how bad you think you are because he has taken some of the worst of the worst throughout history and he has turned them for the good. And he loves you. Lord, I want to be that mouthpiece. I want Crosspoint to be a place that is just filled with believers who are on fire, who want to share the gospel, who are renegades, who say, regardless of what society tells me I need to be, I'm going to be what God tells me I need to be, and I'm going to push forward in that mindset with the passion of my heart and the knowledge of my brain, knowing that you are on my side, that you have my back, that this thing, it will go. Lord, we love you. We, we, we truly do. I, I love you. I thank you personally for this opportunity. But God, more than anything, I pray that 
we can just be leaders for one another, that we can push one another to grow in our faith and to, to, to spread that word, to show others the stories like Paul's, like my own, uh, like so many throughout history that, that God, there is forgiveness to be had. There is redemption there at the feet of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that if anyone out there doesn't know you, that, they, that if they have questions about you, that if, if they're just wondering if this could be real, if, if, if their past really can be forgiven, and, and if they can really let go of it, Lord, that they'll come talk to me, that, that we can just talk about that and lay that all out on the line, Lord, because it's a powerful thing. And they can leave this place headed down a different direction than they have been going. Lord, we thank you so much once again in your son's name I pray. Amen.